The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Hi, and welcome to It's Relatable on MindBodySpirit.fm, where we talk about all things relationship. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and I'm so happy you're here. Get comfortable, and let's dig in. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. Today's episode is one where we're going to talk about our relationship to surrender. And it's a pretty big concept. And um, I'm going to talk to Coot Blackson about it. And we're going to try to tease it apart as much as possible and see if we can't get everybody thinking a little bit about what it might mean to open up some areas for surrender in your own life. So first, let me introduce my guest today. Coot Blackson is an inspirational speaker and a transformational teacher. He speaks at events he organizes around the world, as well as outside events, including AFEST, the Young Presidents Organization, and Entrepreneurs Organization. He's a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, a select group of 100 of the world's foremost authorities in the personal development industry. He's also the winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award, and he's widely considered a next-generation leader in the field of personal development. Coot's mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access their inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. Sounds great, right? Let's dive in. All right. Well, Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I woke up this morning and realized um, I don't I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in accidents, and it is no accident that we are doing this interview today because the day that we're recording it happens to be my dad's birthday, mm. um, and he died back in two thousand eight. But he was a person that has taught me more about what it means to be human and live fully human than anybody in my whole life. And a lot of that mm -hmm. was through challenge. <laughs> we had a very challenging mm -hmm. relationship, but we also had a really, really beautiful relationship. And so um, it's pretty special that you're here with me today on my dad's birthday to have this conversation. I'm on it. I'm on it. Yeah. Um, so let's dive right in. I would love to hear my first question for you is why this book? Why why did you want to write this book now? Yeah, I didn't want to write this book. You know, <laughs> to be frank, this was not my intention to write. This was not my plan to write. It was not my desire to write. I wanted to write anything but this. And I wanted to write every other book that I thought would be successful. Uh, my first book, You Are the One, was a national bestseller, did very well. So I sat down with an intention to write another bestseller with my own sort of agenda. And I sat down with a whiteboard and thought I would strategize what books my publisher would want, what books uh, my audience would want, what books would be a New York Times bestseller, what books had great titles. And um, I came up with probably 75 different ideas and possibility. Wow. And the truth is none of those really, none of those resonated. None of those felt true. None of those felt authentic uh the only word of of the 75 that i wrote that was way down at the bottom of the list was the word surrender and i thought to myself 
no, I don't want to write about that. But but I felt the authentic pull. I felt the undeniable energy. I felt the vibe. I felt something pulling me to this word. And so I had to surrender to the book about surrender. And I had to surrender to uh, the book that was seeking to be written, not just the book that I wanted to write. And when I surrendered, I realized that the book had a soul of its own. Mm. And I, I just kind of accepted and when i did that everything started to make sense everything started to flow everything about my life and everything i'd gone through in my entire life began to make sense and as i stepped back and i looked i <clears throat> recalled a few years before uh and i saw where the seed of the book was planted actually um in 2016 the end of 2016 my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer and uh, it was very hard because my mother was the person I was closest to. She was the person I loved the most. She was the person that taught me about love and raised me almost single-handedly. And so it was rough. And, and, and what started out as the worst year of my life actually ended up becoming the best year of my life, quite surprisingly. And I started flying back and forth. I live in L.A., and I started flying back and forth from Los Angeles to London, where my mother lived, to be with her basically one once uh once a month for a week for 12 months and so i was flying back and forth back and forth three weeks in la traveling one week in london back forth and it was it was really intense and and i went into this process with every intention that i was going to heal my mother and get her well with alternative therapies and the truth is she was on her own trajectory and she was on her own journey in many ways and it was hard. Um, about seven months into the process, the doctors finally came to us and said to my mother, look, there's nothing else that we can do for you. So get your affairs in order. Um, you're going to die. And it's hard when, when, when you realize that the person you love the most, in this case, my mother, uh, she wouldn't be around to see my children. She wouldn't be around to do many of the things I, I had in plan, I had planned for her. And so in that moment, I realized that in a strange way, the only real regret I had in my life was not spending more time with my mother. I thought I had time. I thought that there was tomorrow. I, I had all of these plans, but I was too busy building a career and saving the world and making an impact that I didn't make time for just the ordinary moments with my mother. I just having a cup of tea. No, but I, I need to be doing more important things, you know, taking a walk yeah. in the park. There's more important things to do. And so yeah. it really hit me. And in that moment, I asked my mother two questions. The first question I asked my mother was, are you afraid? Mm. Like, Mom, you're, you're, you're going to, like, it's going to happen. It's yeah. pretty much there. Are you afraid? And my mother, who's a little Japanese woman, looked me in the eyes and she said, I'm not afraid mm. because I know I'm not this body. Mm -hmm. This body is a temporary vehicle for my soul. And, and when this body will die, which it will for all of us, but for me, it's sooner. Um, what I am is eternal, you know, beyond birth, beyond death. And so I'll be guiding you from the other side. And I felt her conviction in knowing who she was. And then I asked my mother, because I wanted to be a good son. And yeah. I felt there was so much more I could have done for my mom. And I said to her, look, what can I do for you in your final days? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Well, like, tell me, yeah. we'll do it. And yeah. she said, there's nothing that I really, there's nothing I want and there's nothing I need. The only thing I want and the only thing I need, the only thing I want is what God wants for my life. 
And I realized in a very simple statement that <clears throat> she was free. I realized in that moment, in that very simple statement, she wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. She was surrendered, truly, in the highest sense of the word. Even in the face of this very raw, real situation of her own mortality, facing her death, she was surrendered to the highest unfolding of her soul and her soul's journey. And in that surrender, she was free. And I understood why this entire year, my mother was at peace. My mother was quite happy. My mother was quite neutral and calm. And she didn't cry. And she didn't complain. And she, didn't, she was just being. And I saw that this was the key, that surrender in that moment. I saw that she was demonstrating surrender to me without talking about it. She was living it. And I saw that surrender is a password to freedom. You know, surrender is the real key to the next level of our life. Surrender to me is the real secret to manifestation. If you look at any of the great ones, a Jesus, a Buddha, a Gandhi, a Mother Teresa, a Mandela, a Bruce Lee, a Muhammad Ali, you know, anyone who's done anything great that were just possibilities for the human experience and what it is to be human and fulfill one's potential, yeah. they all reached a point in their lives where they had to surrendered themselves they all reached the point in their lives where they had to surrender themselves to their soul surrender themselves to that purpose that was bigger than themselves maybe someone like a gandhi who was a lawyer was going down a certain path but there was something more that was seeking to express through him that was bigger than him that he had to surrender to and when when these folks were i think when they surrendered what i saw was when they surrendered themselves to that purpose that was bigger than themselves, to the divine, to the infinite, to, to their souls, to, to that deeper impulse of what life was seeking to express. That's when they transcended their human limitations. And that's when they transcended their ego. That's when they transcended their personalities. And that's when life, the universe was able to manifest through them and create through them and live through them and express through them. And, and do amazing things beyond what I think they could have even imagined for themselves. And so, to me, surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. Um, I've had the, the opportunity to live it my whole life, but especially since my mother passed away and since I started writing the book, you know, when you write a book about surrender, get ready because the universe puts you through some tests yeah, and, oh, makes, I'm sure. and makes you live uh, the book so that you really yes. understand it. And so yeah. I've really gotten to live and understand the different nuances of surrender over the last years. And so I just, just, mm -hmm. just to be clear, I think in our culture, there was a kind of misconception about surrender. This idea that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that surrender yes. is giving up, that surrender is waving the white flag, that surrender is sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. Surrender is being a doormat. Surrender is, is getting left behind. Surrender yeah. means you won't manifest your goals, dreams, and desires that, that, that you're going to get less in life. And I'm actually saying, no, if you really understand surrender in the way that I, I share that surrender is an active process, that surrender is a powerful process. That if you really understand surrender, what if you didn't get less in life, but you got more, more yeah. than you could have planned, more than you could have imagined, more than you could have intended, more than you could have sort of will powered yourself to make happen with the limitation of your logic and your conscious mind? What if it was more and better than you could have planned for yourself? And so surrender is a letting go of control. It is a letting go of the illusion that we were even in control in the first place. It's a, it's a letting go of trying to force and manipulate life 
to fit your limited idea of how you think it should be and who you think you should be and how you think relationships should be so that you can be available and open. Surrender is an availability. Surrender yeah. is an openness. Surrender is taking the limitations off of life so that you can allow life to show you, life to reveal its life to lead you, allow yourself to be guided yeah. by life and its intelligence. And so that's the last thing I'll say is, is the, the old paradigm uh of of living is sort of the 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 ego-based model for living life all about know what you you have to know what you want and and get clear on what you want and then go for it i'm not saying it's not good to know what you want and have intentions and have goals but i think many of us we we don't realize that in our goal setting we're limiting ourselves because when we live life and create goals from the lens and the level of the mind, the level of the logic, the level of the persona, the level of the ego, the ego is conditioned. The ego is not able to see the whole picture. The ego is only able to see a very small piece of the totality of life. And so when we create and live life from the ego lens of what do I want this individualized personality and persona, the ego is limited to past experience. So whatever we tend to create from the ego tends to be limited to what what we know and so and sometimes yeah. we we do you can manifest from the ego the only thing is sometimes we've all had this experience where you you manifested what you thought you wanted only to realize that what you thought you wanted was not what you really wanted it was kind of what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were and yeah. often our goals can be projections you know of unmet needs from childhood and so for me the question becomes in surrender that i really invite people to sit with is not what do i want the question becomes what is it's a bigger question what is what is it that life is seeking to manifest through me what is it that life is seeking to express through me what is it that god the divine the universe the intelligence what is my soul seeking to manifest and express what what is the deepest impulse of what life is seeking to express through me and to feel that and to catch that vision and to to sense what that is so that we can align our mind, our personality, our ego with the deepest impulse of life. Then we can align our planning and goal setting and strategy and marketing and resources to, to fulfill the authentic expression of what life is seeking to express to us. And so that's a bit about why the book came about and a bit about surrender. Yeah. Thank you. I, so I want to tease, there's so many things in there that I want to tease apart. Um, and I will say, so as the author of several books myself, it, it's, I find it really interesting. I had a, I had a writing instructor tell me once that the most important thing you can write is the thing you least want to write. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I was, of course, was like, shut up. I don't want to hear that because the, <laughs> the, those are the hard things. Right. But it's true. And I do think that there, that there's a way of giving yourself over to the process of whether it's writing or painting, or I have a daughter who's a musician or whatever it is that your particular talents or, or gifts are. I think there's a way of giving yourself over to the process and trusting it so that it will show you what it needs to be, or it will show mm -hmm. you what it wants to be. Mm -hmm. And I, um, and I've experienced that and I've fought it, fought it and fought it and fought it for most of my life. But every time I'm able to let myself be part of the process and not be 
in charge of the process, it's astonishing, right? Yeah, the difference and yes. the quality of what comes out. But I want to touch on, because um, I actually had this question written down and then you started to talk about it a little bit, but I want to dig into it a little bit more um, about that illusion of control, right? Um, my So my dad was a U.S. Marine, Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine that mm-hmm. he was very much about control. He was very much about having things precise. And um, he did tours in Vietnam and had some post-traumatic stress from that. And so that sort of heightened his need to be in control. But he was diagnosed with um, lung cancer when he was 63 years old. And it was a mm-hmm. very aggressive form of lung cancer, mm-hmm. um, actually from his time in Vietnam, from the Agent Orange And he had been this incredibly athletic, very healthy, didn't drink, didn't smoke, you know, ate really well, exercised every single day, kind of Marine. And it took about 18 months for him to die. And it was brutal and it was painful. And he ended up dying in my arms. And he and I had very many conversations like you and your mom had as he was dying And it was astonishing to me to see him begin to surrender and and to feel the difference in that, like he had been, had held everything so tightly for the whole time I knew him, you know, my whole life. And, And, you know, you talk about people who gave themselves over to surrender, you know, famous people but i think it's the same for people who aren't famous there's this there's this vibe change right there's this whole like i think sometimes you can come into the presence of someone who you know has has surrendered control and there's an ease in being with them there's a comfort there's a mm-hmm. groundedness there's this sense that I'm not a machine and I don't have to know every single one of the next steps to take that. I actually am connected to something bigger. I'm part of something bigger. I'm part of nature Mm -hmm. and there are rhythms and cycles. And this is part of that. And it doesn't matter whether I like it or not, it's going to happen. And my holding my dad while he took his last breath was simultaneously the most painful and the most beautiful moment in my life mm-hmm. because of that energy. He couldn't speak. He he hadn't been able to speak. He had a massive tumor in his throat. So he hadn't been able to speak for a couple of weeks, but we were still communicating with each other. And it was just gorgeous to mm-hmm. have, to, to witness that, mm-hmm. you know, he had that trust. He had that, that sort of, Faith. So I guess that maybe that's my next question for you is to, can you talk a little bit about the relationship between faith and surrender? And I don't necessarily mean faith in like a higher power or faith in a particular deity, but just the role, because I think a lot of us in this Western culture don't have an understanding of what faith really is in a lot of ways. So I would love to hear you talk to that. Yeah. I mean, faith, trusting um i think many of us sometimes have a hard times in in trusting life and trusting that there is an intelligence and so how do you have faith if you 
don't trust that there is an intelligence and an order that is unfolding life. Um, but in many ways, I kind of also say, like, how can you not trust life? How do we not trust it? Because every day, there is so much proof that there is an intelligence that is unfolding us and in life. We're just often not paying attention, mm. you know? And so, like, right now, and I'm not talking about great, amazing miracles that happen. No, I'm just talking about, like, Right now, we're sitting here having this conversation. Folks are listening 20, 30 minutes, and we've been breathing. We're not sitting here going, oh, my God, how do I breathe? I have to have faith that I breathe. I have to pray to breathe. I have to do some special yoga, meditation, mantra to breathe. Yeah. Breath is just happening every day. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, without your effort or my effort. Like, mm -hmm. do we have a question? Wait a second. What, what is breathing me? What is it that is breathing me? Something, something is breathing me. Some, and something is breathing me and breathing you. You know, you had breakfast this morning. I had some eggs and, and, a, and a slice of toast. And how is it that my hand doesn't turn into an egg? How is it that my hand doesn't turn into a toast? Like, mm -hmm. do we ever think of, like, there, there's some intelligence that can take this food and knows how to digest and how to, you know, send the nutrients to different parts of the body. It knows how to digest our food. Yeah. And so to me, somehow we've lost touch with the recognition of the intelligence that is is us that is within us that is living us that you and i are also a part of nature uh and and like and so i think if we just begin to bring our attention back to the body like this thing is freaking amazing this thing is like outrageous like what is what is it? it's a hand like we walk around like oh, it's just a hand what the hell is a hand it's it's like mind-blowing you look i'm looking out at the clouds i'm in la the, there's clouds like we see these every day we're like oh, I, I don't have faith what the hell is this white thing in the sky that's floating it's like yeah. eh, eh, wow and every day the sun shines every day i've never woken up and it was pitch black 10 a.m pitch black oh, the sun just forgot to come out every day the sun shines, the sun comes out, the sun emerges, the sun sets, the moon rises. And so there is an intelligence, you know, there is an intelligence. Every day, it, it, the seasons, there is summer and there is autumn and there is winter and there is spring and the, the seasons emerge. And so I think when we bring our attention to our body and just tune in to what it is that we are and what it is that there are trillions trillions upon trillions upon trillions of intricate processes and cells and interactions happening for every second for you and I to even be able to take a breath and for you and I to be able to function in this moment, that is a miracle. And yet somehow we forget and we, we don't have faith. Like you cut your finger. You don't have to be spiritual. You don't have to be enlightened. You don't have to be into any self-help stuff. You can be the worst person on the planet. You can be the, a killer terrorist, but you cut your finger, you keep it clean, your finger will heal. Yeah. There's an intelligence inside of you that knows how to heal. Yeah. And so 
I think we've just lost touch with that and forgotten that because we've gotten so conditioned to look outside that we don't look inside of ourselves. And I think when we can bring our attention to our body and just sit with that, meditate on that, it, it does change your relationship to having faith and trust. If you bring your attention to the world and nature and life and the oceans, and it's like you start seeing that there's a rhythm, you know, yeah. um, and, and I think when we can just start acknowledging the reality of what is and how miraculous it is, yeah. it, it changes some things, you know. And yeah. I, I think, though, you know, from the when we're as human beings, we're conditioned to believe we are these li- limited ego structures that I am me, I am this body, and I am separate from you, and I'm separate from life, and I'm separate from the entire ecosystem that is nature that I'm not a part of nature, that I'm separate from nature and this intelligence, which is, uh, you know, a complete, you could say, illusion. And, and, and so as human beings, I think we have to remember what we are and remember who we are and remember that we're, we're a part of the cycle of nature. We're a part of the cycle of life, you know? Yes. And so when we're locked in ego, <clears throat> we're also not able to see because ego is very conditioned, very limited, that we're not able to see the, 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 the entire flow of why things are happening. So when we go through an experience and it looks, ah, oh, this is the worst thing. And I'm in the moment of darkness and life has abandoned me. God has abandoned me. Universe has abandoned me. And we feel so alone. How do we have faith? But sometimes what can seem like the worst thing in a moment mm-hmm. turns out to be the best thing. When we look back and 10 years pass and we now understand, oh, I so wanted that, that relationship. I so wanted that relationship and I was so heartbroken that I lost faith in that moment. But now when I look at my life now, I think, thank, thank God that didn't work out. Yes. And so many times we're not able to, we lose faith because we're not able to see how all the dots of life connect. And I often say we have to start thanking God, the universe, whatever you believe. Thank God for the prayers that weren't answered. But often in the moment, we're not able to see or understand why. And because we don't understand why, we start losing faith. The ego, which is that limited sense of what we have been conditioned to believe ourselves to be based on belief structures and name and form. The job of the ego is to protect you from getting hurt like you were hurt when you were five and 10 and 15 and heartbroken in that relationship. So the ego creates all sorts of defense mechanisms and strategies to limit us, close our heart and push love away and, you know, be in the over independence so that we don't get hurt again. Right. The job of the ego is to make sure you don't get hurt again. The job of the ego is to reinforce its existence. So, so it's not able to see why something is happening in the moment. And so right. what the ego does is it tries to make sense and meaning of why something didn't happen. Oh, it didn't happen because of this, it didn't happen because of that. And so from that limited perception of the ego's understanding, it's hard to have faith. Yes. Because things don't always make sense in a given moment. And what we know about the way the the human brain works is that you're right. Our brain is trying to keep us safe. Our brain doesn't care about keeping us happy. Right. But we also get a little dopamine reward when we solve a puzzle. Right. When we come up with a story that seems correct, whether or not it is actually Uh. factually correct, 
if it seems right enough, we get a little dopamine hit. And so our yep. brains go, yay, you solved that problem. Yay, you kept yourself safe, right? It doesn't It doesn't matter if you're miserable. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the answer that you came up with is, mm-hmm. wow, that's really horrible, right? So, and the other thing I, that I love that you talked about is this, you know, this sort of connecting ourselves to our bodies. And mm-hmm. I will um, apologize to podcast listeners who've heard me say this a million times before, because I say it probably every second or third episode. But what we know about the amount of information that the human body processes in any given day Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is that 20% of that information flows from the direction of the brain to the body. Mm -hmm. And the other 80% of the information that the body is taking in in any given day flows in the direction from the body to the brain. But we've been Mm -hmm. so conditioned, we've been so socialized to cut that off to ignore that. Nope, I can't go to the bathroom right now because I have 27 other things to do. Nope, I'm not hungry because I need to lose weight. Nope, I'm not going to cry because I'm sitting in a boardroom with a bunch of other people, right? It's like we're cutting ourselves off Mm -hmm. from the vast majority of sensory information that we could be getting all day, every day. And for me, I was having this experience actually a few mm-hmm. weeks ago when I was really feeling sort of anxious about something. So um, I have grown kids who are in their 20s and um, the, some of them are in the LA area, which is not far from where I am. And mm-hmm. one of my oldest daughter is in Chicago, which feels really, really far away if catastrophe is to strike, right? Mm-hmm. And so every once in a while, I get this fear in my mama heart <laughs> and I start to panic a little. And So I was having this really anxious moment. And then I thought, what if everything is actually okay? What if this is a really scary time and everything's going to absolutely turn out to be just fine? And I don't have to worry because I know that my worrying is not going to make a difference anyway. Yeah. It's not going to change anything. And it was, and I had this experience of surrender as a full body experience, right? It was not just this cognitive thing. It was literally, I could feel my muscles start to relax. I could feel my heart rate start to slow. I could feel my breathing start to get deeper. And it was like, what if I can reside in this moment of being in my body and checking in with my body? Guess what? I really am safe right now. I really am. My hair's not on fire. I'm not bleeding mm. profusely. I'm not, you know, tied up and blindfolded and gagged. Like the, if I can check in with my body and recognize I am safe, then how does that change the way that I think? Right. Mm-hmm. And how does it enable me? It for me, it it's this bi-directional thing. Sometimes I have to talk myself into surrender Mm -hmm. and sometimes I can feel my way into Mm -hmm. surrender. And that opens the door for my brain to basically shut the hell up. Yeah. 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 Um, It's like, I was, I was jotted down a couple of notes afterwards and I was like, it's kind of like when you're sitting at, when you're driving down the road and you're watching every light ahead of you at every intersection turn green, it's like, oh, okay, yep, that one's great. Before I ever get there, they're all turning green and I get to just keep going at the same pace and everything's fine. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is cool. I'm good. I'm in that sort of a flow. Mm. But one of the things that I wanted to 
touch on on this theme of safety is um, I want I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to that struggle for folks who've had trauma, right? So I know that there are a lot of people who've really suffered an, an awful lot of trauma and feeling safe is an, a massive challenge, right? Like, yes, I can think about the miraculousness of my body and nature and the world around us and technology and all the things human beings have been able to do. And yet we do these horrific things to each other as human beings, right? We we visit horrible traumas on each other and, and those things live in our bodies too. And mm. so I think often for folks who have had trauma, the notion of surrender, the notion of letting down your guard is pretty insurmountable. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, we have to, part of surrender is surrendering to whatever is arising and embracing all that you're feeling and embracing and learning to hold yourself compassionately without resisting or judging what is happening or what is arising inside of you. And so when I say surrender, it's not like, okay, I have trauma and I'm going to override that and make myself surrender because that's not real surrender. That's sort of a spiritual bypass. Um, so it's not a forcing of surrender because the more you try to force surrender, the more the ego resists. When we've had trauma and all of us have had it in some gradient of, you know, some gradient of trauma. <clears throat> You know, the ego's job is really well intended to protect us and keep us safe. And so you could say the ego is the mechanism that resists surrender. And, and so the, the ego, that which we perceive ourselves to be based on past experiences, memories, traumas, pain, hurts, you know, everything, belief systems, what we hold on to has been developed often in reaction to pain and certain experiences that happened that were painful. And so the ego kind of comes into place as a reaction to make sure, well, that doesn't happen again. I'm never going to go through that again. And so I think it's important that when we feel, okay, uh, let me just paint a bigger picture. Like when we're born, we're, we're, we're you know, we're, we're, we're in touch with our joy and our essence and we incarnate into this human experience. And what begins happening is we meet our parents and you know god bless them our parents are all doing the best that they knew how to do based on their past experience and their life and their traumas and their grandparents and their upbringing and so maybe we were all born into some sort of family system that was a preset of preset conditioning maybe dad maybe dad was crazy maybe dad mom was an alcoholic maybe Maybe they were great people, but they were fighting or there was divorce or abandonment or abuse. So maybe, maybe they were great people and there wasn't anything dramatic, but they just didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. And that was painful. And, and sometimes we don't consider that traumatic, but it does have an impact in our emotional body that can impact us to kind of have this experience of like, I don't really feel safe to let go i don't feel safe because when i'm here my needs aren't met so the world isn't a safe place to have my needs met and so that can create a kind of 
subtle trauma, unconscious trauma in a certain way, because it's not so obvious like somebody that is being beaten or physical things are happening. And so then we think we don't have trauma, but in many ways, it was traumatizing in some way. And so two things happened. The first thing, and I'm just simplifying something for people to understand. The first thing is we learn all sorts of strategies, much of which is unconscious, especially at, at a very young age, to shut down, disconnect, not feel, shut down, disconnect, not feel. Ooh, it's so painful to feel, to feel open, to feel love, to be available. And Nobody is around to meet my needs. Dad is not around. Mum is not around. Maybe they're around, but they're just tripping out on their own journey. And I'm just left here abandoned as a child, as a baby, as a five-year-old, as a one-year-old. That's just too painful. And so unconsciously, we learn to shut down, close down, cut off, right? Disconnect from our feeling capacity it go into the mind, overanalyze, get, we get disconnected. We, we, we certainly stop trusting and having faith in life, in the universe, in God, the divine, in, in the process that is life, because yeah. it wasn't safe. Our needs weren't met. And that's, that's, that's proof for that. And so we learn to shut down, disconnect, not feel. We develop layers and layers and layers. Our heart closes. That closure becomes a certain position and we develop walls around our heart where now we, we don't feel and we don't need anybody. We don't yeah. need anything. We don't need anyone. But that pain, that hurt, that sadness, that grief, that trauma, even though now we've become the tough, strong, independent person, it's still underneath there. It's still, it's still bubbling underneath there, whether we're in touch with it or not. And so then we learn all sorts of strategies in life to who do I need to be to get love and validation and approval from mom? Oh, when I'm nice, when I'm kind, when I'm sweet, when I'm, when I'm funny, when I get all A's, when I, when I thrive in sports, in school, when I'm responsible for everybody. So we learn to develop a role, a mask, a persona, uh, who we become who we think we need to be to get love, validation, approval. And now we contort ourselves into a kind of shape of who we think we need to be. And we become this version of ourselves that we think is who we are. The challenge is who we end up becoming is not necessarily who we really are. It's just the version of ourselves that we think we need to be. And we so identify with this version of ourselves that we've become to be loved and be validated and to avoid pain. And that version of ourselves really is who we think we are. And we're like, this is just me. This is just Coot. This is just Carrie. This is just Susie. This is, this is just who I am. And we so believe ourselves to be that, that 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 becomes a sense of identity, identification, and the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. And the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which surrender feels scary. And the truth is, is uh, if we understand that, then it's understandable why surrender feels scary, because for the ego, that which we become, surrender feels like a death. It's like, oh shit, if I surrender, yeah, I might die. If I surrender, oh, I might feel those feelings. You, you mean if I meet someone and I open my heart and I fall in love and I let my guard down, I might not have my needs met. And that was so painful to just be crying out and not have my needs met that. And, and so, so the ego erects these defense mechanisms, not out of bad intent, really out of good intention. So if we can understand the nature of the ego, right? That we are not these mechanisms and these roles that we've learned. If we can understand that, then rather than like making yourself surrender, which actually creates more resistance and stuckness, mm -hmm. 
then we can understand how to work with ourselves so that it's not about making yourself surrender. It's about acknowledging your fear, acknowledging your pain, acknowledging your sensitivity, acknowledging your wounds, acknowledging, not wallowing in them or over-identifying, but acknowledging them so that you can hold yourself lovingly and compassionately with gentleness so that you can acknowledge the fear that you feel the even acknowledge the resistance the resistance that you feel is there for a reason because we're afraid oh shit if i just let go i'm gonna get hurt i don't want to get hurt and so if we can now learn to meet ourselves meet our resistance with, with with sensitivity to meet our, our resistance with compassion. There's a deeper surrender to surrender to the fact that we may not be surrendered in this moment and understand why and understand that it's okay so that we can hold our non-surrender and resistance with love. I believe that healing is applying loving to those parts of ourselves that are hurting and those parts of ourselves that have been traumatized, those parts of ourselves that are resisting are really parts that have been hurt. And so when we can hold ourselves with just loving and compassion and awareness and touch those parts of us with just profound compassion, then without making ourselves surrender, then we can give ourselves the safety that perhaps we didn't get. And those parts of us that were hurt and traumatized can begin to slowly relax and heal and open. And naturally with time, we can learn to let go slowly step by step step by step gently and that gentle process i think is what's important yeah i i agree i think that's one thing that um i often will when i'm working with folks will remind them (laughs) is you've had decades to build these particular thought patterns and relational patterns and belief patterns right and it takes practice yes, to undo yes, them, yes, right? Yes. Especially if you're someone who's had trauma and you've been and you've gotten really, really good at cutting yourself off from your body. Yeah. Right? Um, especially folks who've who've suffered physical and sexual abuse, right? Are really, really good at not listening to their bodies. Mm-hmm. And and so getting back into your body feels really, really scary Mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel like a safe place and it takes practice. But the other thing that I think that's important to emphasize is that it takes community, Mm -hmm. right? We have to, I really think that it's important for us to have witnesses who Mm -hmm. are able in the times where we can't hold ourselves with grace to have witnesses who can hold us with grace, right? Mm -hmm. To have people who can say, I see that this is what you're doing. I see that this is what you're trying. And I'm here to, I'm going to create this container and I'm just going to hold this space for you because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, healing happens in the context of relationship, just like hurt happens in the context of relationship. And so if you've been hurt by other people, learning to surrender is going to require you to be around people who aren't going to hurt you and who can continually remind you and sort of give your, your brain and your nervous system cues that it was like that then, but it's, that doesn't mean it has to be like this now. Yeah. You know, there's that, um, it's it sort of repatterning in our nervous system that that can come and it requires that first leap of willingness to surrender to you know um i my 
as I said earlier, my dad and I had a, a pretty, well, he was my hero when I was a little kid. And then things got really difficult in my family. And there were a whole host of reasons, his PTSD among them, um, where he engaged in some very bad behavior. And for years, he and I just had this very surface relationship and I was not close to him. And then when I was got pregnant at 29, I really, I had this moment where I was like, I want this child to know their ancestors. I want them to know the family stories. I want them to be surrounded by this loving community of people that, that they came from. Right. And so I reached out to my dad and I was terrified because he still was this larger than life person mm. in my, in my mind and in my body and all the experiences I'd had with him. And I said to him, um, I'm a grown up. And you really don't have any power over me anymore, but I really want to be in a relationship with you. And I don't want to do it in this half-assed way. Yes, I would really yes. like us to be able to have a real relationship with each other. Um, and as it turns out, that was eight years before he died. And he took that leap of faith with me. And we had eight absolutely glorious years. And I'm not going to say they were perfect. There were times where we would butt heads, you know, where it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and we, because, because we were untangling all those old yeah. relational patterns, right? All of those old, like he, there were times where he would try to tell me what to do or try to tell me how to raise my kid. And I was like, Hey, <laughs> I'm a grown up. like, get out of here. You know, this is the relationship I want, but the, you know, it was by the end, I think people wouldn't have recognized the person that my dad was, again, this, you know, Marine who was all about like, never let him see you sweat, you know, manly man. He and I read Pema Chodron together for the last six months before he died. And we would call each other on the phone and we would cry and we would read these beautiful passages of Pema Chodron's books to each other. And I'm like, people would have been like, your dad? What? <laughs> right? But, but the upshot is because we were both willing to take that leap and because we were both willing to put in the work and the time to reset all of that, the memories that I have of my dad, I'm not going to say I've glossed over any of sure, the bad sure. behavior he had. But the memories that I have of my dad are these warm, tender, affectionate, mm -hmm. loving memories. And my children who got to know him while he was on the planet mm -hmm. adored him. Oh. And it like it like so the way that that the world sort of opens up for you, if you have people who are willing to partner with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that I think is astonishing mm -hmm. yeah, beautiful yeah so thank you for letting me tell that again this is it's my dad's birthday so I'm all of this is mm. all of this is coming up for me so I um we have time for probably one more question and I am curious actually I might ask you too if you if you have time um the first one is you know, I'm, I have a degree in philosophy, so I love all this, like, <laughs> you know, let's get big, let's talk all the big philosophical stuff. But I know that there are people out there that are like, okay, what does surrender mean? Like, what does that actually look like in my daily life? Like, 
what is you know what i mean so do you have like actionable ideas or or yeah look, look, I, I would say if there's one place okay where do i where do i start yeah um i think firstly just shifting your framework of what surrender is right that's number one based on everything we've been speaking about um then it's a powerful thing and just shifting that um also shifting the framework and paradigm that surrender is hard when in fact it can feel hard because of the reasons we've talked about the nature of the ego but it is our natural state a baby when born is surrendered yeah. you know it, it's easier to let go like i'm making a fist holding the pen mm -hmm. and i'm holding the pen tightly and this is how we are we were kind of holding on so tightly but it's easier to let go than hold on it's just we've become so conditioned to hold on so now holding on feels normal but if i say let go now how easy is that and so i think we just have to understand that the paradigm of shifting how we see surrender as weak as 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 hard to go oh it's it's not weak it's not it's an active process and i just want to make clear that surrender doesn't mean well you sit there and do nothing you know no so it's just, just surrender Sometimes people confuse surrender with like, I'm just going to go with the flow and the flow is telling me to like, I just, I just feel like eating another tub of Hagen dazs So I'm just going to surrender to that. That, that's not surrender. That's called being a slave to your biological urges. You know, I'm just going to go with the flow, snort some cocaine, drink some alcohol, cheat on my wife because it's just what I'm feeling. No, that's just being a slave to your addictions and conditioning. Um, I'm just going to surrender. Like, like I never felt like writing my book. Yeah. As in, for me, right? I don't enjoy the process of writing. If I just followed the flow of whatever I felt, it, it, which is really the fleeting mood of the moment, that is not surrender. Surrender is not simply following the fleeting mood of your moment. Surrender will sometimes mean that you say no to an urge, to an impulse, because it's not truly authentic and aligned. It's a deeper commitment to a deeper commitment. And it might mean you have to sometimes say no. And it might mean you do what you don't always feel like doing in the moment because you have a deeper commitment to something bigger. It might mean you get up at 5 a.m. Uh, with discipline and intention to go exercise because you have a commitment to being healthy so that you can be around for the next 40, 50 years for your children. And so sometimes surrender doesn't always feel good in the moment but you're committed to something more than your momentary mood. And so that's the first thing I want to say. It, it's a deeper commitment. It's, it's, it's a, it, and so I think where people can start is, you know, I think one of the things that stops surrender because the ego is a construct and the ego doesn't want to change. So the ego doesn't want to question itself. It doesn't want to change. The ego wants everybody and everyone else to change, but it doesn't want to change. And so one of the strategies that the ego employs is we are live in denial or we lie to ourselves, mm -hmm. not lie to ourselves even intentionally. Sometimes we lie to ourselves because of how we were raised. You know, we learn to lie to ourselves about what we feel. We learn to lie to the world about who we were to get love, validation and approval. And so it's often unconscious. And so I think if someone wants to start the process of surrendering, you have to start by looking at the lies that you're telling yourself. Mm -hmm. We stay in relationships that we know are not aligned. We work jobs that we hate. We betray ourselves for people to love us. And we wonder why we're in pain. We wonder why we're stuck. We wonder why we're miserable. We wonder why we're sick. There is no freedom without truth. 
And we have to want the truth more than we want what we have. And we have to want to be free more than we want what we think we want. And so if we can just, if we can just begin by telling ourselves the truth. So look at what, ask yourself these questions as a practice. If you do this, your life will change. You don't have to pray. You don't have to meditate. You don't have to do anything woo woo. Just start telling yourself the truth. What lies am I telling myself? Because what am I pretending to not know? What is it costing me? And I would even say, take the pressure off of yourself of having to take action. Because sometimes the fear of the consequence of taking action is what clouds and blocks our truth. Yeah. Ego kicks in. It's like, I'm confused. No, no, we do know, but we're afraid of what might happen. If I really acknowledge, I'm not in love with my wife. Oh, that's scary. So if you take the pressure of having to take action, you say, I'm not in love anymore. Let's just sit with the feelings and see what arises. You don't have to act. You don't have to divorce, but see what comes up. It might lead to a deeper yeah. conversation, which might lead to a breakthrough in your marriage. You know, I, I hate my job. You don't have to leave your job because maybe you have bills to pay and kids to feed. And so, mm -hmm. but just acknowledge the truth. There is no transformation without truth. To me, truth is real spirituality. Truth mm -hmm. is real surrender. Truth is real freedom. Truth is real prayer and meditation. And so it might look like, you know, I have an alcohol problem, no judgment, but I'm not going to pretend and lie to myself. I have an issue with alcohol. It might just be acknowledging that and that begins a process. So you can't change your reality and shift your reality if you're not telling yourself the truth about where you are at now. So all true breakthroughs and surrender starts with the truth. And I promise you, anyone listening, if you start by telling yourself the truth slowly, your life will change. Awesome. Thank you. I, that's great. Yeah. It's, that is, um, it's, it, it does feel really scary. And I appreciate the um, reminder that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to act, right? Yes, it's, no. Um, because it, that I think is, you know, for us, we're, again, that's how we're conditioned is to, you know, we have to be doing all the time. We don't get to just sit with what's happening with, with the reality. And so often we'll, we don't even necessarily often recognize that we're making that leap from do from this thought to doing, you know, immediately. But, um, so I appreciate that. And I very much appreciate your time. So my last question for you is just around like, what's next for you? Where do you have one of those other 75 ideas that you're writing about? Do you, I know you do workshops and things. So Yeah, I think for me, what's next is um, I'm writing a book, a new book. Um, that's that's in, And that's in the germination stages. But in terms of events, I would say um, if anyone's inspired by the conversation, and maybe feeling ready for your next level. For me, what's next is um, twice a year, the last 12 years, I've done a very special event in Bali. It's called Boundless Bliss. It's a 12-day experiential seminar training without rules. So what's next is this December, the 5th through the 16th, is um, my 22nd event in Bali. Wow. And it's a 12-day immersion seminar training without rules, where if you're someone you feel a calling to make a difference in people's lives, as you feel as though you've been put on the planet for a purpose bigger than yourself, you feel ready to heal and transform and peel away layers of conditioning to connect with your authentic nature and share, share your gifts with the world. Um, you can find out more information uh, and join me on this profound, amazing healing transformational process. Boundless Bliss. You can go to www.boundless, 
boundlessblissbali.com. That's boundlessblissbali.com. Watch the video. Uh, there's an application process. We only take 18 people. This is going to be my final, uh, the last event I ever do in Bali. Wow. Uh, and so you talk about what's next. If someone feels the calling, this will be the last opportunity. I'll never do okay. another 12 day event in Bali again. Uh, a cycle is complete and I'm now creating many other seminars and different things. So if somebody feels it, join me there. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes so people can get to it and I'll link to it as we, um, in the Instagram and Facebook stuff too, so that people can get right. to it pretty easily. Um, sounds horrible to spend 12 days in Bali in December. I don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine, but thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate your wisdom and we'll make sure people know how to find you and how to find your books. And um, I hope the rest of your day goes great. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of It's Relatable. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and you can find links to all the things we talked about on this episode in the show notes on the webpage for the podcast at mindbodyspirit.fm. Please reach out to me with questions, comments, and ideas for the show and download episodes and leave reviews on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you stream podcasts. If you like, subscribe, and follow, You'll be sure to get updated whenever there's a new show to listen to. The music at the beginning and the end of the show is a clip from a song called Get By. It was written by Lauren O'Driscoll, Alexander Parker Lawrence, and Moses Ray Walker. The song is performed by Lorelai and Sam Rydell, and you can find the whole amazing song wherever you stream music. I highly recommend it if you need a mood lifter. I also want to give a shout out to Moses Walker for helping me produce this podcast. He is always and forever making these technical things seem so much more doable for me. And I am grateful for his expertise and advice. Until next time, take care, mind your relationships, and be well, everyone. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.